Hello, everyone. This is Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg's executive producer, Rob Perra. On today's episode, Danny talks with Roy Steiner, Senior Vice President for the Food Initiative at the Rockefeller Foundation, about creating a positive outlook for the food systems in 2050 and manifesting change. Steiner says that the Food System Vision Prize is fueling collaboration across the food system, turning a dystopian future into a hopeful one. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Today, I get to chat with Roy Steiner. Roy is the Senior Vice President and Managing Director of the Food Initiative at the Rockefeller Foundation. Roy, I know you're in India. Thank you so much for doing this uh, late at night, your time. Um, We have known each other for more than a decade now, so happy 2020 to you. Um, You have taught (laughs) me a lot over the last decade. Um, I first met you when you were uh, still at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You've been a great mentor and friend of Food Tank, so thank you so much. Well, thank you, and 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 uh, congratulations on all the things you're doing for the food system transformation we all need. Oh, that's very kind. Um, so, Roy, I ask everyone the same question on this podcast, and it's, what is your favorite food memory? I'm sure you have a lot of them. I do, but I mean, I just have to go back to... Uh, you know, food that my mother served me as a special Persian dish. And she, uh. she would be amazing. Um, she was an amazing cook. And would, we would have people over three or four times a week, which I still don't understand how she was able to do that and work full time as a nurse. Oh, wow. Um, and, um, and so just having these, that is those amazing meals, huge diversity of people all around. It was, uh, was is my favorite memory. That's great. That's really wonderful. Um, and I've had meals with you and I, I know how much you enjoy sort of the, the sharing and the conversation. So that makes sense that that's one of your favorite memories. Um, so I, I want to dive into what you uh, and the Rockefeller Foundation launched uh, last year, which is this Food System Vision Prize. And I, you know, I, I'd like you to describe it in a second, but I, I kind of want to get to the reason that you think thought that the world needed this vision prize. And I've heard you talk about how most um, sort of visions for the future of food are often dystopian and, and, and not real hopeful. And so can you talk about what you hope uh, that, you know, how you hope that the vision prize will change that, that lack of hope we often have around the food system? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think it's good to start by just, you know, we need to look at the food system and recognize that, you know, we've created something that's not delivering what we really want. And and because we've optimized on just two narrow things, yield and profit, and we haven't really optimized on the environmental sustainability, the the ability of the food system to contribute to culture and Mm. flourishing of of, 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 of people. And, why didn't we uh, do that, Roy? Uh, why, why did we get, how did we get into this mess? I guess maybe is a good place to start. Well, I, yeah. I, I think 50 years ago, there was such a focus on, we have to feed the world and, and there's, there's, there was looming and actual famines in many parts of the planet. And there was real, real, um, you know, uh, concern about that. And, 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 and people get laser focused on a particular end goal. And, and there's a lot of unintended consequences to that. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think in order to change that, though, we need to begin, begin thinking differently and, and thinking about what we really want. 
And, and this food system vision prize really stemmed from, we did an analysis of all the movies and books about the future mm-hmm. um, that are out there. And, and when you do that, it's very quick. 98% of those books and movies are dystopian. They're very dark. It's Mad Max, Hunger Games, right. um, uh, Bird Box, and the list goes on. Like, I mean, pages and pages of this dark dystopian future. And the problem with that is if you, you know, you actually create what you imagine. You know, sure. if you can't imagine it, you create it. And um, and I often quote, there's a, there's a parable, I believe, that goes, that, you know, where there is no vision, people perish. And um, and right now we're in a culture that I think is at risk of perishing because we've become so good at describing the world we don't want. Yeah. And hundreds of millions of dollars doing that. And we're very bad at actually describing in detail in a way that we can visualize and feel it, the world we, we want. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for Systems, right? The narrative has always been we're how we're going to feed 10 billion people, we're going to destroy the planet, uh, every, and and the real, the question we ask is, well, okay, that's one scenario. What if we made all the right decisions? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What if we 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 actually thought about this and were able to organize the food system to deliver all the things we really want? What would that actually look like? And, you know, it's not, that's not an easy question to answer because you have to deal with so many different dimensions of the food system because the food system is this incredible interconnected thing. And it's, and it's different in every location. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, every geography is, is somewhat different. Very so, specific, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and that, but that's also exciting and it makes it more complex. And so the Food System Vision Prize was how do you describe the food system in your particular local regional uh-huh. area, so that so that people can get connected, they can be they can start visualizing what their 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 backyard would look like in 2050. And but we wanted to make it. This is not some utopian thing. We want to actually like um, get people to think. How do we actually deal with the realities that we know are coming our way? We know climate change is going to change. Uh, almost everything about many food systems, what we can grow, water cycle, all, uh, uh, soil, soil um, quality, mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm. So we know that's happening. We know artificial intelligence automation is going to come along. And some places, 50 to 80% of all um, agriculture and food-related jobs will be automated. Well, what's the implication of that? And is that something we want? Uh, we know population is growing and, and some and most a lot of places, well, in some places actually going to decrease. So how do we imagine sure. the food system that feeds those those people? And um, uh, and how do we do it in a such a way that we preserve the culture we want, uh, create uh, a system with, that has economics that uh, that are, is really fair, that you're really dividing the pie up in a way that allows everybody to flourish. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it really requires, what I love about food systems is it, it forces you to start asking these fundamental questions about um, what is it, what is a good society and, and how do we create something that we all want uh-huh. and not just, you know, settle 
can be for something we none of us want. Right, right. And have no plan. I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of what has happened in ag development has been very sort of reactionary rather than proactive. And and sort of this vision allows us to be more proactive in how we think about, you know, what you described the world we want. You you mentioned something very yeah. interesting and and it's this idea of connection and getting individuals to connect with one another through this prize. And I know collaboration has been a really important part of this. You, you didn't want individuals to apply. You want collaborations and kind of coalitions. What, can you, you talk a little bit more about that and why it's important? Yeah, I mean, it, precisely because food systems are these interconnected systems. And there's never going to be just one perspective that can make that uh, a mm -hmm. reality. And so, and so I think, you know, we have to co-create with the stakeholders in that, in that system, what the future could be. And, and, and we're really hoping that, you know, this will bring together primary producers and supply chain people and chefs and consumers and, um, you know, school principals mm -hmm. and university students and businesses. I, you know, because you really want to get a multiple set of um, perspectives and, and use this power of consultation um, mm. to, uh, to come up with answers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the goal. Is yeah. that, that this, a vision that actually has, has possibility of becoming a reality needs to be bought into by a whole range of people. Yeah, and because Food Tank has been sort of writing about the prize and creating awareness about it, um, I've been getting um, questions from people who are, you know, and uh, in, in coalitions of people who are thinking of applying or have already applied. And it's been really fascinating to see, you know, from, you know, different places in the United States, but all over the world, what people are sort of thinking of and who they're getting in touch with before they they do the application. So that's been exciting for me to see sort of all of this, you know, people are really into it. They're, they're listening and they're trying to figure out, okay, what, what vision do we want? And, and so I'm, I'm so glad that, you know, they're, they're, they're doing what you said, co-creating and collaborating and, and getting together to figure it out. Uh, um, one question I have is the sort of flip side of this, and, and I'm sure you've gotten some pushback, is that we shouldn't be dreaming of the future that, that we want. We need to be acting and doing something right now. And I, I'm just wondering how you sort of counteract that criticism, you know, um, versus, you know, uh, doing this prize and having it be a more of a long-term thing. Because the urgency, you mentioned climate change, you know, the fires in Australia right now, you know, everything seems very dire. Uh, how do you respond to the critics who say we need to act now? Uh, well, I would say absolutely we need to act now, but act in what way and in what direction. I, I think the power of a vision, it gives you um, a, a, a direction and a way of thinking that can prevent uh, so many of the unintended consequences that, that, that happen if you don't, um, if you act to, to uh, you act without a vision, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and I, and I think all of our development history is like people are like, we don't have time to think, you know, create a vision. We need to just, you know, solve this famine issue. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, so you solve the famine issue, but then you've created this incredible environmental crisis. And you and you created, you've promoted the diet, uh, uh, dietary patterns that are now the number one risks 
for uh, increased early mortality. Right? And, and so I think you, you've got to act in a way that understands the system you're working with and, and has, has built on feedback systems and is moving in a direction and, and a set of, and, and a multiple set of goals mm-hmm. rather than a, a, a very narrow set. So absolutely. I mean, my hope is that visions get created that then translate immediately into, into real action. Absolutely. The other thing is, you know, change is hard yeah. and this is going to take a lot of work and all and if you don't have vision, if you don't have hope, if you don't have that energy, you're going to burn out or you're going to give right. up. And, and I think, you know, visions are things that enable us to persevere when, when there is darkness all, all around us and where, where, where we into these troughs of despair and where we can't, uh, where it's hard to see forward right. if, we, if we have that vision that keep, enables us to keep going. Right. That's why I've like, you know, have liked this process and sort of, you know, watching how the Food System Vision Prize has, un, you know, unfolded after, over the last, you know, since you you first talked to me about it a few years ago. And it, it, it provides this hope that I think is so lacking right now where, you know, if you watch the news or if you read anything, it's it's all very dire, whether you're talking about agriculture or anything else. So having sort of this toolkit to put together a vision has been really, really exciting for me. And, and again, so hopeful. You, 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 you asked this question before, you know, what if we made all the right decisions? And I, I think that's something that, you know, a lot of people like you in philanthropy struggle with because, you know, foundations have not always made the right decisions around agriculture. And I know Rockefeller in the past has been criticized for that. How do you, how do you, you know, as, as the, the head of food at, at one of the, you know, most well-known foundations in the world, how do you convince folks that that, you know, that you, you accept sort of the, the decisions you made in the past and are, and are moving forward in a more positive way? Well, I, I think we're all in a learning process. And, and I would be remiss, you know, if we, oh, we've been perfect in the past, of course not. Um, I think uh, the folks 50 years ago, 60 years ago, made what they thought were the best decisions Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they could given the information they had. We know a lot more now. We know the environmental consequences of some of those decisions. We know the health consequences Mm -hmm. for those decisions. And and we can, you know, uh, and and we need to learn upon that, learn from that so that we don't repeat those mistakes. And I think secondly, the other thing, you know, we've really learned is that people need to be protagonists in their own future. We need communities and stakeholders to make decisions for themselves. I believe in that deep democracy where um, that technologies and ideologies and paradigms aren't forced upon people, that in fact, where we're going needs to be uh, needs to be part and parcel of of, uh, of, of people themselves making those decisions, um, and so and that's why I love this term. You know, that this vision crime is about enabling people to be protagonists in their own future, and not simply accepting what some development planner or someone outside yeah. um, has made. And 
and that's not easy, though, you know, to think about the future, to think about these dimensions, get multiple stakeholders, you know, that that requires um, skill and patience and the ability to bring uh, conflict resolution and all these things that the world right now is really struggling with. You know, it's in a polarized world, um, we, we, uh, it's just reflecting the fact that we don't have a lot of the skills we need to solve mm-hmm. the problems in front of us. Mm-hmm. And what I love about food systems is that everybody can relate to them, right? And it's, sure. you know, I, I, I think, I don't know, it might have been you who said, you know, um, farmers markets in the United States are the one place uh, in, in the week where often conservative rural farmers will, will interact with, right. you know, liberal elites and everybody's having a great time. And, uh, you know, and if you want to bridge gaps and if you want to bridge divides, mm-hmm. food, food is, has got to be at the center of it. it. It's one of the most powerful social technologies we have. That's a great um, term. And that's why I'm excited. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I love this prize process is that whoever you are, you can relate to some part of the food system and you can, and, and, and you don't then get stuck in the immediate challenges and immediate polarization. You can think out 30 years, well, what do we actually want? Do I really disagree with that other person? Mm-hmm, Are mm-hmm. we really off base when it comes to, right. you know, healthy food and, and an environment we all can, you know, thrive in? I, like, I think there's a lot more commonality if we can get ourselves out of this incredible, contentious, yeah. dark place that we're in right now everywhere in the world. You know, it's not just the United States where all this polarization is happening. Right. Um, here in India, where I'm in India right now, just for this week, uh, it's it's just as challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, and I love that you this idea of it, it, food is used as a bridge across political differences, et cetera. And I, I just want to repeat what you said. You said food is the most powerful social technology we have. And I, I love that. And it, you you brought up this idea of culture before. And, you know, we forget that the word agriculture has culture in it. And, you know, yeah. the need for preserving cultures and, and, you know, not forcing ideas upon people. That's, you know, that's really easy to say. And I think that's something we all want. But how do we do that? How do we preserve cultures? How do we honor what has been done before, you know, indigenous and uh, traditional knowledge bases, you know, uh, we know the consequences of not preserving those things, but how can we encourage those ideas to be preserved and not sort of lost, you know, as we we chase the next silver bullet for solving world hunger or solving climate change? How can we we preserve more of that idea of, of protecting culture? Well, A, I think we have to, you know, first acknowledge that there is this incredible culture and we need to identify it and, and describe it and and talk about it because there is some culture we absolutely want to preserve. There are maybe some culture which we don't want to preserve. And and because culture is never static. Mm-hmm. It's continually changing and and cultures borrow from each other and there's no such thing as pure culture. But but it is the way uh, human civilization evolves and communities create meaning and, um, and create joy. And I, I think that's, you know, food is not just some 
physical nourishment, but it is a source of joy and right. it is a source of connection yeah. and um, and beauty. And let's let's bring all the dimensions of of food into this equation, because I think at the end of the day, that's what that's the other thing that's also going to get us committed and. Uh, excited about moving and, and moving into a transformed food system that really mm-hmm. delivers on, on the promise. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up joy and beauty. You know, you and I both go to a lot of conferences where we're talking about nutrition or agricultural practices or or whatever. And what we forget often in those conversations is that food is meant to be delicious and enjoyed and shared. And, you know, it is supposed to be something beautiful. And so thanks for bringing that up. I just think it's such a important point that we, you know, when we're in the weeds of these issues and thinking about things like climate change, we forget, like, this is supposed to taste really good and make us happy. You know, Um, it's, it's good to remember. So, you know, your role at Rockefeller, you do a lot of things. It's not just the food system vision prize. And I, I wanted you to talk a little bit more broadly about Rockefeller's um, strategy around food and agriculture right now. Sure. So, you know, um, for so much of our history, we, we've been focused very much on improving productivity, um, which is still an important thing. But, you know, when we just step back, one of the things that really struck us is, is the point I made that, you know, diet is now the number one risk factor right. for early mortality. So the food we're eating, the dietary patterns we've adopted are, are killing us. Um and secondly, as you know, and everybody in food system knows, you know, food, the food system uses more greenhouse gas than any other sector. But in both cases, so we're, we're the biggest cause of health problems and the biggest cause of climate change. But unlike other sectors, we can be the biggest solution for climate change and the biggest solution for human health. And that, to me, is what is exciting. And so... You know, we have taken that, like, how do we improve the quality of the food um, that we're producing so that it really enables human health and planetary health? And so um, kind of doing this review, uh, talking to a whole bunch of folks in the food and nutrition Uh space, there is a concept of protective foods, which is... We know that there's a whole set of foods that actually reduce the risk of non-communicable diseases. Um, and that's that's the things you would assume. It's whole foods like fruits and vegetables and seeds and nuts and, and whole grains and fish. Um, uh, and, and we know now that we're under-consuming those by a pretty dramatic uh, degree. You know, um, by, in many cases, oh, let we, people are... Uh, consuming less than 50% of what's optimal wow. virtually everywhere in the yeah. world. And, and so, and, and what we've, what we've done is we're over consuming really bad food or food that is not um, protective. So like processed uh, foods, food, just well, for our ultra, listeners. So yeah. It's not, yeah. So it's, it's not processed. It's these, this ultra processed food yeah. that strips away and creates all these isolates and, and highly refined um, sugar and highly refined grain because it, it creates an imbalance in our diet. It creates dietary patterns we know create disease. And so we're seeing this literally tsunami mm. of healthcare costs all over the world. You know, I often ask 
and most people guess, oh, maybe $3 billion or $30 billion. No, in the United States, it's $327 billion. Just in the like United most States. People are off by, yeah, most people are off by an order of magnitude. Yeah. And, and, so, and then the other is, you know, during the Iraq-Afghanistan war, there was 1,700 amputations by, by U.S. military personnel as a result mm-hmm. of the armed, armed conflict, which is terrible and a tragedy. But last year alone, there were 83,000 amputations due to diabetes. Wow. So we're in this war, and we're losing this war, and no one even understands the magnitude of this loss. And, and the flu system is going to bankrupt the healthcare system. Mm-hmm. Now, it is bankrupting the healthcare system. And we've got to, you know, it's, it's an emergency to get the quality of our diet up. Um, and so we're really this, we've adopted, at least uh, for the time being, this, this uh, phrase, protective foods that protect the planet. Oh, I love and, it. And um, so we need to increase this, the optimal consumption of, of uh, good whole foods uh, uh, that are produced in a way that, that protect the environment. And, and that's, a, that's a complex thing, but we think that there are a number of levers and we're working primarily in the United States and Africa um, and the U.S. It's around, we're working on things like produce prescription programs, mm-hmm. which are enabling um, you know, doctors to prescribe fruits and vegetables and other healthy food and have the health insurance company pay for it. And, the, and it looks like the return on investment on that is, is really good. Right. It's much cheaper than, than pharmaceuticals. Right. Uh, clearly, the pharmaceutical plant uh, companies may not like this, but it is the right thing to do for, uh, for the health system. And um, we're looking at things like how do you shift the, um, school meals and hospital meals, et cetera, in the United States? Because I think there's a, there's a demand issue there. And then in Africa, it's really, you know, there's still an undersupply of, the, of these foods. And so we're working um, on getting small and medium-sized enterprises um, it, that are in these protective food supply chains to lower the cost and increase access mm-hmm. to poor and, bon- poor and vulnerable families. So we're doing an investment um, strategy there. So that's, those are two kind of on-the-ground type yeah. of work we're doing. No, and it's so interesting. And I, I mean, you know, you talked about sort of there, you know, there's underconsumption of these protective foods and, you know, it's because of lack of access and affordability and, you know, people just can't get them. And, and in some cases it's because farmers don't have incentive to grow them. Um, how can we create yeah. that incentive? Um, yeah. I, so I think there's, there's a number of different dimensions to that. One is, as your your listeners probably know, you know, 95% of subsidies go to four or five staple crops, right? right. Corn and wheat. I mean, we're subsidizing the high fructose corn syrup that's causing all of that diabetes. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The other thing that's skewed, and so we, we've got to shift the whole subsidy system so that it actually promotes um, these healthy, healthy foods. Um, the other is the you know the amount of research eighty five percent of research between fifty and eighty five percent it depends you know really also go to just these four or five crops um, when we have to increase the amount of um, energy and effort um, but that all of that is not going to shift things unless we can't get 
consumers demand. Mm-hmm. And that's really kind of we, we need to work on consumer demand and, and understand how do you how do you uh, increase the demand. And it's not simply education. You can't tell people eat more healthy food. Right. That's not gonna work. Right. You have to you actually have to change the food environment and make healthy food convenient, tasty, and affordable. Absolutely. If you don't go that those are the whole range of things we need to do, uh, but we can do them. We've done them in the past. We can do them again. Yeah, there's history to, to know that we can change things. And I think that's why, you know, you, you mentioned school meals, creating that environment early on where, where kids know what, you know, healthy, uh, really delicious, good food that's good for them and the planet looks like. I think that that goes a long way in, in creating that, you know, change that's so, so needed. Um, this has been such a great conversation. I want people to know that they can get more information uh, for the Food System Vision Prize at foodsystemvisionprize.org, or they can go to the Rockefeller Foundation website for more information as well. Um, so, Roy, I ask everyone the same first question, and then I ask them the, the same set of, of last questions. And these are meant to be rapid fire and for you to say the first thing that comes into your mind, okay? So don't, don't think okay. too deeply about it, okay? <laughs> um, the, first, right. the first is your favorite book. Oh my God, that's not that's that's a hard. Question. <laughs> I know it would uh, be for you. <laughs> uh, I, okay, so well, I would say that I, I love this poet called Tom Pett. Oh, he's a poet, so that's that's one of my favorites. You got a little quiet. Repeat the poet's name. Oh, Hafez. Okay, great. Um, it, 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 yeah, I know. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, okay, the second is the person you most admire. Um, my mother, but historically there is this incredible kind of um, uh, a person called Abdul Baha who who kind of exemplified service to humanity. Mm. Um, Great, that's awesome. Okay, last question: What makes you most excited about your work? Oh, everything. I love working on food system transformation because I can see the impact it uh, has in the world. And I love people in the food. I mean, people yeah. who are interested in food system, they're just interesting. They're committed um, and, uh, and, and, and really have, you know, it's just the perspective you're connected to so many different parts of what it means to be a human being. Um, so, yeah, I, Awesome. That's great. And that's something I know uh, as, as a fact from hanging out with you for a decade now that you really enjoy your work. So that's wonderful to hear. Uh, Rory, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I, again, I bullied you to be on because your travel schedule is crazy. So thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, again, people can find out more information at foodsystemvisionprize.org. Thanks, Roy. Thanks, Danny. I really appreciate it. Take care. You too. Safe travels. Thanks so much for listening to Food Talk with Danny Nirenberg. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share the podcast. Make sure to return to foodtank.com every day for original reporting and analysis on the most pressing issues impacting our food system.